Well, with that, let's pray. And we'll look at Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. Lord, we thank you for this, uh, this season of Christmas that where, we, um, where we celebrate the birth of Christ. Um, this, this, this holiday, we acknowledge it's not from the scriptures. It's not something that the early church did. Um, our, our culture, though, has, has made this holiday such that it's, you know, it takes up practically a twelfth of our year. And, and so it's an opportunity for us to, uh, to focus on Christ and his birth, um, his advent, his, his coming. And so we thank you uh, for the story that we're going to read today, Lord, that we um, learn about and read about the Annunciation of of Christ's birth. Uh, Father, we pray that you would help us um, as we attempt to to wrap our minds and spirits around this great mystery of divinity, of of Jesus stepping into human history. Um, Father, I pray that you would uh, help us uh, to grow closer to you through this and that we would get a greater understanding of Jesus and our Lord. Father, I pray for those that maybe don't know him as Savior, that, uh, that through today they, they would have questions uh, eliminated or answered so that they could place uh, their faith in him. And for those of us who know him as our Savior, Lord, we ask that you would help us to draw closer to him uh, d- during this season and, and really every day, Lord, that um, we would grow to know him and that we would grow to be more like him each day. Uh, We love you, Lord, and we pray this in Christ's good name. Amen. All right, Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. Uh, Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I am a virgin? Uh, The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has conceived a son in her old age. And she who is called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord May it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Uh, Father, we do thank you for your word. We ask that you would help us as we navigate this story today. 
And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. All right, so this is a, a, a well-known story. This is a story we're all familiar with. Uh, and in some respects, I think that makes it more dangerous that we all are so familiar with the story. Uh, we sing Christmas carols. We, we just know the story. And, and I think sometimes that inoculates us to the, um, the, the profound mystery and, and power uh, with, within this story. Um, I, I do like going through Luke because it's really easy to, to point back to the first four verses of this chapter that Luke makes this really clear that, that what he's describing is, is not folklore. He's not making up some uh, story that's a, a placebo for humanity to, to make us feel better as we you know, deal with death and heartache and heartbreak and, and the, the difficulties of life. He makes it clear that this is an actual historical event. He, he ties Jesus Every, every which way he's tied to history, to geography, that um, you can go back and look at the evidence and everything that's, that's mentioned here. Historians confirm, archaeologists also confirmed. You just can't make the story up. And, and nor was it designed to be understood as some fable. Um, and so... We looked at the introduction last week, or, and then we looked at the Annunciation of, of uh, John the Baptist in the first 24 verses where they discovered that John the Baptist would come as this forerunner that was prophesied um, in Malachi to be the forerunner of Christ. And so now we fast forward six months. So verse 26, now in the sixth month, that's in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, the angel Gabriel, so it's the same angel that we met last week. Uh, he was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth. <clears throat> and so looking up here at the map behind me, the circle below is Jerusalem. That's where the temple would have been. Uh, Jerusalem is a mighty city. The, the, the second temple of, that Herod built, um, expanded upon, was this massive, massive temple. Uh, huge, um, glorious. I mean, still to this day, it's super impressive. Um, it was in the scene of Zacharias last week, going into, the, into the, the temple where only the priest would go. It was a Super Bowl sort of situation for him or winning the lottery. Uh, a once-in-a-lifetime experience when he's in the temple uh, making the, the offering of the incense. Gabriel appears to him and he has this encounter with, with Angel Gabriel and you know, he leaves with the crowd. So it's, just, it's this huge I mean, huge is, a, is an understatement. This, this is a glorious, massive event. Um, now we shift. We go 65, 65 miles north. Uh, Galilee is the region. You can see the Sea of Galilee up there. It's, it's like a state more than a city. And then within the state, we're told, in a town of Nazareth is, is where we find ourselves. And Nazareth, the only thing that's really known about Nazareth is this, this sort of... Uh, this story where Jesus grew up. Other than that, there's, there's nothing important in this. You know, we, these are hillbillies kind of thing. Um, as as Jesus' story unfolds, everyone's like, what? Nazareth? What comes from Nazareth? Like, this is ridiculous. Um, so we have these two towns in stark contrast with one another. Super big, glorious uh, to, to this podunk little town. And uh, we then are introduced to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph um, of the descendants 
of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. So the first thing to, to address is engagement. Um, in our culture today, you know, a boy gets down on his knee or he's supposed to. I didn't. I, is my, we don't need to talk about my, my engagement story. is really bad. Um, <clears throat> um, oh, man, now I'm stuck mentally. Um, you're supposed to do, like, you're supposed to, like, let's just say, like, the, what do they call them today? The, the prom things, when they prom request, they call them something. Promposals. The promposals blow away my engagement for proposals, you know? This is, uh, but, but, but engagement in our days, it's not, there, there's nothing legal about it. There's nothing permanent about it. There's not, there's, there's. It, it, it didn't carry, It doesn't carry the same magnitude as engagement in during the time of Jesus. This, this, uh, I, I almost prefer the word betrothal. Um, that this is an engagement was a, as a legal thing that you basically were entering into to marriage. Um, in order to get out of engagement, it, it was the equivalent of getting divorced. Um, you were legally bound to the person. Um, you would be in this state for about a year while preparations were made um, so that the husband could bring a wife home, that he could care for the family. And so, so, so here we're introduced to this young girl, Mary, and we're introduced to Joseph. <clears throat> and so uh, whenever I deal with Mary, I'm always really torn on, on how much to say or how much not to say or how, you know, it, it's just... It's it's difficult. I was raised Catholic, and so I have a lot of uh, a, lo- a lot of things have been said about Mary. And then, um, then as I became an adult and became a Christian, and started studying the Bible and entering, walking, sort of swimming in Protestant circles, uh, I, I just with Mary there was a very uh, other extreme for how she's perceived, and so. Um, it, it seems like on one end of the spectrum, she's venerated as God. Uh, on, on the other end of the spectrum, she's totally just ignored, and she's like nothing. And I, I recognize that during the offering, we sang a song that could be explosive in some circles, and it's like, uh, you know, like, and I, I probably listened to it with a critical ear too. Of, of course she knew, like, all of that stuff, because we're going to read the story today. Like, she knew. Um, uh, and so I never really know, like, you know, so what do we know about Mary? We, we do know, we believe that she was probably between 12 and, 13, 12 and 14 years old. So she was, by our standards, a very young lady. So I think of my daughter Grace, I think of Lila. I don't know, there's other 12 and 13-year-old girls in here. That, but, but in that, that age range, so a very young girl, um, her education, she was very likely illiterate. She couldn't read. Um, she was poor. We, we know this, that when Jesus was coming up, later in Luke, uh, we see that when they made an offering at the temple that they offered, uh, they used pigeons, which was for, it was an, an allowance for the very, very poorest um, to, to, to make an offering. Um, there, the rest of the stuff, I'm kind of in my mind having an, an argument whether or not to cover the other stuff. They, I just want to say that Mary was a, a, a person. She wasn't sinless. She wasn't co-redemptious. There's, she, she was in need of a savior, the scriptures show, just like everyone else. Um, 
I, I do push back on the Protestant some of, of like, of just sort of uh, minima, minimali, minimizing, I think is where I'm going. I think I was trying to, con- like minimalist with minimize. I think I was trying to combine those two. Um, but, but this is a very special young lady. The, the, this, this, is a, this is a young girl that was um, godly, spiritually mature enough at 12 to 14 to, like the way she handles what happens um, to be chosen by God to have the Savior come through is, is uh, we, we can't minimize that. I mean, this is, this is a very special young lady that we can learn a lot from. Um, and so then Joseph, uh, we, we don't see much about Joseph here. I mean, we see some, but we see that he's of the descendant of David. Um, and, and, and so he's linked. If, if we were to read in Matthew's account, Matthew would show sort of like as you piece together the two lineages, it actually is very critical, these two, um, the two lineages showing that, um, that in Christ, through both Joseph and Mary, um, that Jesus actually fulfills all of the prophecies that were made, some which almost seem impossible if you follow Joseph's, where there was a king there that says, never through your bloodline will you have another king. But through adoption kind of is like the loophole on that one line. And then through Mary's line, you have, it's fascinating. So if you want more study, you can, you know, do your study of Matthew's genealogy. Um, But we'll see that Joseph's engaged to Mary He's a descendant of David. He, um, by the end of the story, as we hop over to Matthew, we'll see that this, this, this man was really an honorable, um, just a good man. I, I mean, I really have a lot of respect for Joseph and men like him. And so going to verse 28. So verses 26 and 27 are sort of this, there's introducing us to this scene. We move quickly from Jerusalem. We, we fast forward six months we find ourselves in this little town in, in Nazareth um, to this young lady who is going to have this encounter <clears throat> with an angel. And so verse 28, and coming in, he said to her, that's the angel speaking to Mary, uh, greetings, favored one. Uh, favored is a word that we get grace from. That like the, so, so greetings, one who has much grace upon her. Uh, the, the Lord is with you. Now, it's, it's, it, this interaction is a little bit interesting. <clears throat> Not so much as a really common greeting. This, this greeting is really um, just normal. But we see in verse 29 that she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. And so one commentator quipped, um, men didn't normally greet women. So it would be very unusual for a man, uh, this angel, to, to greet this, this woman. And then he goes on to say, uh, nor did angels. <laughs> like, like, so so on, one, one, on one side for Gabriel, we're assuming that he has the form of a man, that he appears to her um, and he addresses her. The greeting is very normal, but for a man to address a woman would be very um, abnormal. And for an angel to address anybody, that would be extremely unusual, um, to say the least. And so we see that Mary is perplexed, um, she kept pondering what kind of salutation this is. Like, what is going on here? I think this is reasonable for all of us. 
Um, And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And so he says, you know, don't be afraid. It's okay. Um, God has been gracious to you. God has looked upon you with uh, good feelings. Everything's okay here. I see her getting relieved and... And then everything sort of shifts in verse 31. I'm trying to imagine as this like wave after wave after wave of increasingly difficult statements appear, how would Mary handle these? Um, so then after he says, you found favor with God, don't be afraid, everything's good, We're every, don't worry. Uh, behold, you're going to conceive in your, in your womb. Okay, that's... Normal, like nothing abnormal there. I can handle that. And to bear a son, okay, so you're prophesying a little bit. Like that's, you know, like, okay, so I'll have a son and you shall name him Jesus. Okay, now you're telling me what to name my son, specifically Yeshua, which means Savior, like Savior, God with us. Um, that's, a, that's a bold name selection. And he will be great. And will be called the son of the most high. This is, <laughs> I agree with Larry. This is where it gets a little bit weird, uncomfortable. Like, I mean, every mom thinks her little boys are the best, you know. But this is like, this is saying your son, the father in heaven is going to, this is going to be his son. And the Lord will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob. And if you remember the story in Genesis, Jacob became Israel. So we're talking about the nation of Israel forever. Um, And his kingdom will have no end. So now we're speaking of like an eternal reign. This isn't like, oh, your kid's going to be president and he's going to get eight years and then he'll go back to life. This is an, an eternal kingdom. And... I just see America. Can you say that one more time? Like, can 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 you repeat what you just said to me, or can I repeat it back to you just to make you know this is good exercise and communication when you're having like a conversation and somebody says something and your emotions are a little bit out of control. You're like, can I just repeat back what I think I heard you say? Just and you can tell me if I have it or not. Like, um, th- this is this poor young lady. What happens to her is the angel addresses her and she says all of that Old Testament prophecy, it's going to be fulfilled through you. Um, Some of the Old Testament prophecy that we see in this in Genesis 3.15, that's the first announcement of the gospel that that through woman this this, uh, seed would come, this, this Messiah that would make an end. Then in Isaiah 7.14, where for, there's, the, there's the prophecy of the virgin birth. And then in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 13 through 14, this is a, an, an important covenant. This is the Davidic covenant, which says through the line of David, the, a, a, an eternal king will come, one whose reign will have no end. It can't be uh, human. This is a divine kingship. This is the king that Israel longed for. And so here is this 12 to 14-year-old young lady. We often think, oh, they were so young back then. I tend to think, oh, man, we've like, 
you know, we don't let our youth mature. Um, uh, you know, we can argue about this, and I'm just talking to myself later. Um, <clears throat> but so all of this information is given to her, like, through you, Mary, you're going uh, gonna to conceive a son. You're going to name him Jesus. Um, he's going to take the throne of David, and she would have known immediately that what the angel is speaking of is this Davidic uh, covenant that was made back in Samuel, and that he's going to reign over Israel forever. These are huge. This is a, like a poor girl uh, out in the middle of nowhere. Um, and so, of course, she's going to have some questions. Then Mary looked at the angel or said to the angel, how can this be since I'm a virgin? Like, I don't, I don't have a husband. Like, how, I'm not married. How, how is... How does this work? And that's probably a bad question because he's going to fill in the blanks even more, which is um, going to throw us for a loop. Um, what I will point out is compared to Zacchaeus, when Zacchaeus asks the question, he seems to ask not in faith. And he, he's like, you have your question and you're not asking in faith. You don't believe what I'm telling you. He's like, I'm the, I'm the angel Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I've been sent here to give you this message. Here we sit in the midst of the temple and you want a sign? Okay, your sign is that you're not going to be able to speak until the child comes. And Mary's doesn't seem to be, there's no evidence that hers wasn't not in faith. It was more just mathematically, like, how does this work? I'm a virgin. I'm not married. How, how am I going to have a son? Like, how does this work? And then the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And I can see the angel looking at Mary and saying, well, you asked, and I told you. <laughs> this is going to work. Did I answer all of your problems? Like, all of your questions, are they all resolved now? Um, <clears throat> I think she's going to stop asking questions. Um, we're, we're now dealing, like, in verse 35, and does it go to 36? It's just 35 this is one of the largest mysteries found within the Bible. I mean, this is the hypostatic union of Christ, the, um, the, you know, the, the, the dual nature of Christ being 100% man, 100% God. How does that work? We can come up with a whole bunch of answers for this that none, like, if we're honest, it's beyond our, our brains. I mean, this, this is difficult. The Westminster Confession, section 8.2, they have a, a lengthy paragraph, sort of, as the Westminster Confession came together, sort of like going through, like, what do we believe? What are the things that make for Christianity that we're going to hold to? It's very good, and these were bright minds. This is the paragraph that they wrote on this, which is quite good. I'm not saying it's going to resolve all of our questions, um, but they write, the Son of God the second person of the Trinity, being very and eternal God of one substance and equal with the Father, did, when the fullness of time was come, take upon him man's nature with all the essential properties and common infirmities thereof, yet without sin. 
being conceived by the power of the Holy Ghost in the womb of the Virgin Mary of her substance, so that the two whole, perfect, and distinct natures, the Godhead and the manhood, were inseparably joined together in one person without conversion, composition, or confusion, which person is very God and very man, yet one Christ, the mediator between God and man. Now, you're going to have to go to seminary to splice that all apart. Um, I, I warned you, there's, there's three, there's, um, the, the essence of this is that they're saying that Jesus is born of a human mother without the agency of a human father. Um, and there were three things at the very end that they said, there were three things that, that, that they were without as this happened. Um, the first is that there's no conversion, which what they're saying in this is um, that divinity, or godliness, his godly attributes, Jesus being God, this was not lost in the humanness, nor was humanity of, the humanity of Jesus swallowed up by his divinity, that there was, there was two natures in one person. Don't ask, it's the best I can do in explaining that. That's, there was no composition. What they're saying in that statement is that the incarnation didn't create a new creature, that he lost his humanity and he lost his divinity and that the two were merged and something new resulted that was totally distinct from anything that's ever been seen. And then there was no confusion, that there was no confusion between Jesus's divine nature and human nature. He was fully God and fully man. Jesus was God. Jesus, unlike us, that at, uh, at conception, we came into existence. I'm pretty sure that all of us have wrestled with the thought of, like, where did I come from? Or maybe it's just me. But from a very early, like, like a very early age, I remember sort of wrestling with these things. Like, okay, I can go back. Like, I think I have memories of when I was about two years old. And then it gets fuzzy beyond two years old. But then I have some family pictures I can pull from. So I can kind of see, um, like I probably like one of the earliest pictures of me is like a baby. Like I know there's what, like I was raised Catholic. So there's a picture of me with the priest holding me, uh, getting baptized. Um, there's some other baby, like I have very few baby pictures, but, but there's some. But then what before that? Like where was Gunner? I can imagine blackness, like just, just nothingness. Like I don't, and the thing is, is before you were conceived, you didn't exist. Like human birth is, is something that's beyond our comprehension, even scientifically. Like the, the reality is science can tell us, okay, they can tell us what is happening. Like, okay, an egg and uh, like, I don't need to go into this whole lesson, but like at that moment, all of these things happen and they can kind of tell you all of the process and they can, you know, that when your wife becomes pregnant and you're uh, like, there's the baby center or whatever it is. It's like, okay, six weeks along, you have a kumquat in there. That's like to help you like see like what's, and I don't know, quote me on that. It might, six weeks might not be a kumquat. It might be something else, but they give fruits that helps you understand the size of the baby that's in the womb. And science can tell you all this stuff, but really it's a mystery. Like it just doesn't. 
Like that a human can be born is a total mystery. Like any animal. Like whether it's your dog having puppies or your horse having a, a, a whatever, a, pu- a puppy, a foal, you know, like whatever it is. Like, like recreation of any life form is miraculous. Like science can tell you like all of this stuff that like happened, but they really can't. Like they can't, like you And so if, if we really think about life and how it's the origin and the creation of life and our minds can get boggled about that, it makes perfect sense why I get boggled over the hypostatic union of Christ. Like, it's overwhelming. See, Jesus wasn't like us when he, when he was, in this whole story of his conception like all through the Bible, like all through, how much time do I have? I don't have that much time. But like going back into Genesis, the very beginning of Genesis, if you go to the Hebrew and you look at how God explains himself, his, he, it's in the plural. It's not in the singular. So there's evidence for like with the word that we use, the Trinity, which isn't in the Bible, but we see all this stuff. It's like, okay, there's, there's, there, there's plurality in God in the Old Testament. We, we see in Colossians uh, we see in, in, I think it's John eight fifty eight where Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. Like we just saying that, the great I am. That he's saying that before I came into human existence, I was in eternity past. And so he took on a new form in the form of, of, of man while maintaining his divinity. This should blow our minds. And ultimately, if we come to grips with this, where it should drive us is to our knees and, and total humility this week as I've been studying this. The, the one quote that I heard is that um, everybody has to stoop to get into heaven. There's no going into heaven proud. There's like a humbling before God in entering heaven. And so this whole, uh, you know, the cross begins with the coming of the Messiah. And so here Mary is answered a question. She asked the question, how can this be? I'm a virgin. Well, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, because I think Mary's like, I'm good on questions. <laughs> like, I'm like, we'll just ride this one out and see what happens, you know. But now she doesn't necessarily ask for a sign, but the angel says, I'm going to give you a sign. In fact, I've already given you a sign. He says in verse 36, And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible for God. And where we ended last week, we said, what, what did Elizabeth do? She went into seclusion for five months. Um, we end at verse 38, but verse 39, what does it say? Now at this time, Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country to a city in Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. She's like, okay, I just had a bunch of stuff thrown at me. Where I need to go is I should have drawn a bubble, but like, well, we kind of did. So from Nazareth down to Judea, so somewhere in this region is where Zacharias and Elizabeth were. She gets this thrown at her and <clears throat> she takes off. Um, apparently everybody knew that Elizabeth was barren. Everybody knew that um, she was older, beyond childbirthing years. 
And so Mary gets all of this thrown at her. And so the first thing that she's going to do is to go check out the facts. <laughs> like, the angel just told me that my, my relative, Elizabeth, is pregnant. And she's six months along. At six months, you can tell that a woman is pregnant. You're almost to this date. Like, I tend not to ask how far along are you to anybody. But by six months, you're like getting pretty close to where it's like you're pretty safe. Not that you're ever safe if you're a male to ask the question. But, but it's like at six months, it's like there's like you're feeling like kicks and stuff, you know. Like, and, and I'm not suggesting that any male go and start touching on girls' bellies and saying, can I feel your baby? Like, don't do that even like just to be safe here. So she, so she goes down. Um, when she hears this. And Mary said to the angel, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And I, I just, I love the picture of, of Mary. Um, you know, the, the song that we're going to end with, to me, I think it's summarized. It's not a Christmas song at all. Um, it's take my life and let it be. It just, it seems that Mary encounters the angel and by the time they're done, she's just fully yielded. Lord, whatever you want to do, as you say, I'll do whatever you want. She surrenders her life in this most profound way and it doesn't, it doesn't mean that she had everything figured out. Certainly she didn't have everything figured out. It didn't mean life would be easy for her. We know that through Jesus' life, as he went back to Nazareth, um, he was known as being the, the one that they didn't know who his dad was. Um, they lived in shame in many respects amongst their community. And we're going to look at Joseph and his reaction. Like we, we see what he did what the Bible doesn't get, like, how did she break the news to him? Like, she goes skipping along, and then she sees Joseph, like, sending a text message, hey, Joseph, we need to talk. Something happened. Were they eating lunch and saying, hey, when you finish your burger, let's, um, did she start with the angel? Did she start with her pregnancy? Did she, like, like, there's, there is no easy way for her to communicate to him this event. But if you'll turn with me over to Matthew, so we'll go towards the front of the Bible, to Matthew chapter 1, verses 19 through 25. So the Bible doesn't leave with us this, um, this exchange. I think it was this June... At, at the, what do they call it? They call it the 500 Heroes at Alternatives. And so I think it was this summer, that this summer's one, or it could have been last year's, the guy that they had speak, it was so extremely, extremely powerful. Um, he talked about how him and his wife, I think he said that, that um, they were clearly in the partying scene where they had been drinking, and I don't know if they both were doing drugs, uh, he had been doing drugs, and, or she had been doing drugs, and he might have been, but he was like this, um, this high-end carpenter that built movie sets in Hollywood, and he lived down here in Escondido, and so he would have this long drive, and, 
And they basically, um, it, it comes to the point where they both, I think they both get saved and, and they started living their life and she, I think, wandered. And I'm like, where is he going with the story? Like, you're probably thinking with me right now. And, and so then he wakes up one morning at like two in the morning for breakfast. His wife was there because he has this like three-hour commute to L.A. And she says, I'm pregnant with another man's baby. And he just looks at us and he said, all I could do is like look at her and say, let's pray right now before I say anything else. And so they prayed. And then he said he, it was the longest drive to work. And he tells this whole story about how over the course of the next few months, he decided that he would raise the child as, as his own. And it was real tragic on the mom's side. She got, like, it, the, the whole the drugs and alcohol took her to where she eventually died. Um, but he tells this story who they named this little girl Grace. And, and um, just a powerful story of, of this man being just knocked off of his feet with, with the reality that his wife is pregnant with another man's baby, that, that no a greater violation of trust um, and just the anger and everything that he grappled with in this moment so reminded me of Joseph, which we don't have how Mary took this. But I do feel like I can take the liberty th- th- that I don't know of very many men that would buy the whole angel thing. Like, I, like I, I think it's fair to make that assumption by what we see. So however she broke it to him, what we have in Matthew chapter 1, verse 19, we have in Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, not wanting to disgrace her, which is fascinating to me because how did the angel greet her favored one, which is one that's been graced? And he is a righteous man that doesn't want to disgrace her. He wants God's grace to be upon her. But he knows that she is not pregnant as a result of him. And from a logical perspective, there's only one way that that happens. And there's so much honor in how Joseph, like, like, like he's hurt. Like, he's going to have shame to deal with. He's like, we're told that by, by the biblical standard, this is a righteous man who's now dealing with this crisis that was no fault of his own. And Mary's righteous with no fault of her own is in the situation, but in this situation, you know, all of the, I'm pretty sure that a jury would condemn her for being unfaithful to him. But so he plans a way to send her away discreetly or send her away secretly. And so I just see, I don't see this being like in a moment. I see this being like days and weeks where he's like, how could this be? How am I going to tell my parents? What is the community going to think? What is the way like, what are we going to do? So he kind of comes up with a plan, but the plan hasn't been put in motion. And so during this motion, this period, In verse 20, we read, but when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. And so the angel Gabriel is going to show up again. And it's in a dream. 
So clearly he's like tossing and turning at night. He's, he's wrestling with this whole life just imploded on him. And so the angel appears to him in the dream and says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. So the first thing is like, well, what's he afraid of? He's not afraid of the angel. Like, like he's afraid of continuing in this, this, this marriage where before they even consummated their relationship, there's been infidelity. And so the greatest fear is, how do I trust somebody that's breached this violation on me? Like, how, like, how, like how's this going to be? Like, this is, a, this is a, a, a heavy moment with a really godly young man, which I think that there's some indication that he's like, well, like, before he got to that, I'll just send her away. Maybe he, he concluded that he would marry her and they would move forward regardless of, of the breach of trust. She's got this whole angel story, but <clears throat> even in that, maybe I'll still marry her and, and we'll go about life as normal, but the, the fear of that was, was too great. But then he doesn't stop there. The angel doesn't stop. He says, for a child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit and she will bear a son. Hmm, that's interesting. That's exactly what she said. Now, I didn't really believe her, but now that there's an angel before me, Gabriel, the same exact situation, this, the story's kind of lining up. And so he continues and he says, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus's mission statement. We celebrate Christmas, but it's all about the cross. Um. You know, last, last night being there at Pete's funeral, standing over his casket, knowing that man being there at his death and in the midst of Christmas season, like, and, and to hear the family, mem- family member after family member testifying about the power of the cross and knowing that Pete's sins had been forgiven through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection on the cross. It's powerful. And, and Joseph, here by the angel, said, he's coming. You're going to name him Jesus. He's going to save people from their sins. Now, all of this took place to fulfill which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. He says all of this is to fulfill prophecy. You don't have to be afraid. You can trust what Mary said. Ma- Mary's the only one that understands what exactly happened. Joseph, by faith, and every other person that encounters the story is in Joseph's boat. That we can, re- we can react in faith, or we can, our, our nature, our default is to reject the message. And then we're told that Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. And he took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth a son. She was not perpetually a virgin. Mary had many children, but we're told that, that Joseph honored um, the marriage bed as not being the marriage bed until after the birth of Jesus. And then he called his name 
Jesus. And, and this whole Joseph, like any father that takes children that are not his own, this, there's just this whole picture of adoption and that Jesus was his adopted kid that lived his, li- his human life with, with the black cloud surrounding him of the community and that Joseph came in and raised him as his own boy, knowing this whole story, is there's just a, a beauty here. That like Mary, Joseph steps in and says, okay, Lord, I don't get it. all these things. Take my life. Let it be consecrated to you. Like how, whatever you want, Lord, it's yours. This week I saw a quote by a guy, Glenn, not this Glenn, but Scrivener, I think is how you, there's a lot of E's in there and, and an E-R at the end. <clears throat> he said this that I thought was really good. He said, Christians believe, in the, Christians believe in the virgin birth of Jesus. Materialists believe in the virgin birth of the cosmos. Choose your miracle. I thought that was powerful. You know, science will tell you, like, all of the stuff to, to negate the miracle of Christianity, to negate the virgin birth. Christianity is not saying this isn't a mystery. Mystery means a mystery. Like this is, this is, like if I have a hard time understanding how a child becomes, I, this is going to also stumble me a little bit. And those that are opposed to Christianity will say, oh, well, science explains everything. No, it doesn't. Uh, uh. The atheist scientists of the world, because there's plenty of Christian scientists that align, there's plenty of scholars on the, the, the creation side. They're just rejected and ignored by the whole of the scientific world because the scientific world has a different God. And their God tends to be time. Time is, is that mysterious equation that they use to remove the, the, the miracle of the virgin birth of the creation. Because nobody can answer that question. Okay, let's just say that you're right, the evolutionist. Let's back all the way up. You're billions and billions and billions and billions that the answer, because there's so many billions of years that we can't quantify, that, that's what re- removes the mystery of how your complex life came to be. Let's go back to where there's nothing. Where did that stuff come from? They don't answer that question. And this is the virgin birth of the creation that, he's ta- that this guy's talking about. And so, quite frankly, <laughs> t- to me, the faith on that side is far greater than the faith on our side, where th- there's, there's evidence and, and, and archaeological support, and th- th- there's science that validates things. If you go into it with a, like, I, like, I mean, I want to, like, I want to believe. And there are scientists out there with really thick glasses and all sorts of acronyms behind their name that have done scientific research that confirms a whole lot of stuff from the Bible. Now, none of, you can't ever, like, there's, there's an element of faith, always. And so the question is, is what are you basing your life, your soul, your eternity on? Like, have you given consideration to the claims of the Bible? Most people reject the Bible without ever even reading the Bible. And so I suggest to you that this Jesus that we read about, he is your very best and only option. 
And so when I look at the lives of Mary and Joseph, like their whole lives were totally uprooted. Their lives didn't get easy. Their lives did not get easy. I, um, you know, that tension between like where does Mary fit and how do we look at her? Um, that one movie that Mel Gibson did the, about the cross, blanking on the name of it, The Passion, that one scene where Jesus is carrying his cross and then Mary's watching and she has that flashback of Jesus being like that little toddler boy stumbling and getting dirty. I mean, if that doesn't get you, like that was her little boy. Yet creator, like, like for a, a parent to see their child go through the cross, to go through the shame that they went through in their town. But they stood there and they said, Lord, as you please, I can't help but to look at their lives and be convicted to do the same. Lord, whatever you want from my life, I'll do it. And so we're going to pray and we're going to sing this last song. And my, my prayer is that this song would be not just a song, but it would be a prayer from each of us uh, to God. Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you. Lord, there's so much mystery and divinity and power wrapped up in the story that far exceeds our comprehension. Lord, we pray that you would help us to understand as best as we are able the, the divinity and dual nature of Christ, that he was 100% God, 100% man, that he embodied the picture of God for us on this earth, that, that John tells us he tabernacled amongst us. And so, Father, we look to him uh, as our example. We look to him for our salvation. We thank you that the Creator stepped in to human history and lived this perfect life to make the perfect sacrifice for us, which ultimately is the greatest gift that any of us could receive. Father, I pray that you would take away the apathy from our hearts, the ho-hum, this is just a, a, a boring story that we've heard a million times. Lord, I pray that you would bring us to our knees in worship of the Son that came and gave himself for our salvation. And it's in his holy name we pray. Amen.